Are you ready to be transported back to 1800s high society London? Because season three of Bridgerton is now playing only on Netflix. This season follows the story of the Tons resident wallflower, Penelope Featherington, as she undergoes a journey of self-discovery and empowerment where we see her truly blossom. Penn's emotional transformation takes centre stage as her friendship with the charming Colin Bridgerton evolves into something more. For those not yet acquainted, Colin, the charming younger brother of the Bridgerton family, is about to turn Penelope's world upside down. Mm, This is the ultimate good friends to lovers story. From those initial butterflies to when both parties realise there might be something more between them, watch Bridgerton Season 3, now playing only on Netflix. Of course there's self-doubt and there's this dip, the the tension, Seth Godin calls it the tension, right before a launch where I've worked on a book, say, or a product and then I'm, I've signed off on all the assets and I'm really happy with it, the press release, we've got the tour booked in and then I just crash. I'm like, this is a piece of shit. <laughs> no one's going to read this. It's horrible. I can't believe I wrote that. Oh, my God, I'm going to get slammed for that. Like, I'll do it with this podcast. Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. In today's In Conversation episode, we are sitting down with the one, the only, Zoe Foster-Blake. Zoe Foster-Blake is a former beauty journalist, the author of 10 books, and the founder of GoTo Skincare. But of course, you already know all of that, don't you? In today's chat, a chat you've been asking us to have for the better part of about 18 months, we chat to Zoe all about self-doubt, life in the public eye, what it's like to run one of the biggest beauty brands in Australia, and be one half of the country's golden couple. A quick note too, before we jump into this one, Zoe is pretty expressive with both her voice and her hands so if you do hear some tapping throughout this interview that's just Zoe tapping the table a little bit. I'll get out of your ears now because I know you absolutely did not come here for me. Here's Zoe. Zoe Foster Blake, welcome to Shameless In Conversation. We are so happy to finally have you. I have been asking to come on. <laughs> <laughs> the amount of times we have embarrassingly been like, are you ready yet? <laughs> Which, to your credit, you have said, I'm coming on, just give me yeah, some time. I don't do so, I'm too scared. But yes, here I am. We are fucking delighted to have you. And I think every listener who saw your name pop up in their podcast app this morning will be absolutely stoked. So okay. thank you. Good to be here. I have a little tidbit for everyone listening. Long-time shameless listeners will know that I have been spruiking Michael Bublé's perfume for a long time now. And I said when I first promoted that that a beauty editor who we trust very, very dearly was the first person to ever compliment me on it. And I can now reveal that was you. You were the one. I put it on that morning when we got coffee with you. And then you complimented it being like, what's that perfume? And I was like, Zoe Foster Blake likes my perfume. You made it a thing. And do you know what I said to Michelle Zoe? I said, what if Zoe was doing the Regina George thing of just like (laughs) falsely complimenting you because it was so obvious? So you started it. No, no, no. No, I love it. I think it's an egalitarian industry. If you like it, you wear it. Do you wear like celebrity perfume? 
I, I, when I was a beauty editor, because we were sent so many of them, I loved that Hilary Duff had a stunning fragrance. Really? I wore Britney's for a long time. Britney was a good one. That was a good one. I mean, she had like 12. Yeah. I don't know which, couldn't tell you which one. So, no, it's the juice that I like. Mm. And they have the world's best perfumers working on them. It's not like they get the interns to do it. Mm. <laughs> it's someone who knows how to make the juice. Well, Bublé's now released his third fragrance, and I wonder if I had anything to do with that. Or Zoe now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because it takes three weeks in production. <laughs> Zoe, we start every interview in the same way, which is to ask, what are you reading, watching? or listening to at the moment that you would recommend to someone listening? Yes, I've heard you ask this and I tried to be ready for this. I watched the Taylor Swift documentary, which I loved and I think should be mandatory for any teenage girl. Mm. It was just a beautiful narrative of a girl growing up and coming to terms with being self-assured and having a voice. And then I started watching Goop Lab. And that made me fall in love with Gwyneth. Can you sell that to me? Yes, I can. I haven't watched um, a single episode, but I do like Gwyneth secretly, not so secretly. Yeah, I, I think she's she's unfortunately got an, you know the love to hate label, which she doesn't deserve at all. But she sits there and she's just got this wry smile and she's so confident and calm and cool and Cali girl. And she's just like this calming influence in the room. But the first one's about psychedelics and they all go to Jamaica to do mushrooms what? to have therapy. Yeah. So, you know, psychedelics, are, there's a new form of therapy where people who have PTSD or mm. a lot of trauma and they need to get through it, do it. So very interesting above and beyond Gwyneth's little input. Is it yeah. on Netflix? It is. Okay, great. That's really easy. It's good. I can do that easily. So yeah. the second question we ask everyone is what was your childhood like? Oh, no, I haven't done reading. Oh, my God, what? Oh, <laughs> oh you're doing oh, each. I'm doing – oh, yeah, okay. Can you guys slow down? Sorry, I just had a coffee. That was a terrible idea. What are you reading? Oh, well, I just obviously finished Such a Fun Age like everybody else and The Secrets We Kept, which is a great sort of sexy Russian spy novel. I haven't heard of that. Yeah, it's great. I've re- read a lot of war novels lately. I don't know why. Transcription by Kate Atkinson was another good spy one. And I'm also just started reading Atomic Habits, which I wanted to flag because it's brilliant. That's by James Clear and that's about micro habits which build into big habits. So his whole thing is like just start off doing a minute a day of the thing that you're trying to do and build better habits is excellent. I heard him on a podcast and it was one of those beautiful rollouts of marketing where I'm like, I heard you. I like your book. I'm going to get it. I'm going to read it. Um, so that was really I wonder cool. if that can work with me in exercise, a minute of exercise. Exactly what he's talking about. Really? Yeah. yeah. It sounds wow. ridiculous, but you'll do it. Just get up from your desk and do some squats. Yeah, yeah, legitimately. (laughs) We can do them together. Zoe, the second question we always ask is, what was your childhood like? What were you like as a kid? Good, good childhood. Free range, country, no fences. The last of eight kids, so very free range, like I may have been raised by the cows. (laughs) But it was a a Jenna um, Kardashian family. I used to say Brady Bunch, but no one knows what that means anymore. (laughs) So mum and dad both had kids from previous marriages and then came together and had three. And I was a lucky last and I was a mistake, but one that they were happy to roll with. And it was, you know, we didn't have a TV. We just played, used our imaginations, put on shows, read a lot of books. I was lonely a lot of the time because my oldest brother was five years older and didn't want to have a bar of me. And um, I had friends and stuff, but there was always those times when you're little and you're lonely. But I think that's a really important part of childhood. Do you think that contributes to why you're so creative, that you had to kind of make your own fun and amuse yourself? Yes. And so obviously I rebelled against it as a child and I just would have killed to watch TV or have a mate to play around with. But I think it's really good in terms of resilience and in terms of discipline and in terms of being okay in your own company, which is a skill that is really important and one that I'm trying to nurture in my children, but they're too young just yet. But this idea of like always having something to do and always being distracted. 
Your dad was a really accomplished writer. Did he, yeah. did you guys ever like have conversations about writing? Did he instill that love in you or do you think it was far more subconscious than that? No, I laugh because he, to my face said, don't become a writer, there's no money in it. Many times, but I sort of always thought that I might want to write books eventually, but I'd sort of shelved it as like, that's a timeless career. You can do that when you're 60 and that's fine. So I never thought I'd start writing books, certainly at 24, but it was something that I figured I might do because I enjoyed writing and it felt effortless. So no, dad's advice was don't ever do a creative writing course because they ruin your, if you've got any actual skill, they'll strip it from you. So I was never allowed to do that and to not write books. So 24 is very young to start writing your very first book. How did that come about? I was getting a bit bored and recalcitrant in my job at Cosmo um, being a beauty editor and I remember like <laughs> I'm sure everyone does it but I have one of those uh, what I call florist moments or wedding photographer moments where I'm like fuck this I don't want to do this anymore I'm just gonna leave this <laughs> I mean at the age of 24 or 25 maybe and I was like I went into Mia who was the editor-in-chief at the time Mia Friedman and said well <sighs> I think I'm going to, you know, I think it's time for me to move on. She's like, don't be ridiculous. You need to be busier. Can we give you another column? Can we give you something else to do? Why don't you write a book? And so she put the idea in my head and I was like, yeah, I could write a book. And that was how Air Kisses came about because I was just, it was breathtaking to me how much, what this weird world was of being a beauty editor. You know, you got sent free things. You got sent to Byron Bay for lunch. You got... You were just, it was like you're a princess and your whole job was to test lipsticks and nail polish. It was ridiculous to me. But at that time, so like 2004, 2005, fashion was everything. It was like Devil Wears Prada and every TV show and movie and book was about the fashion industry. And I was like, hello, what about beauty? It's a really interesting world. So Mia inspired me to get to work, I think, because she just thought if I was busy, I'd stay put, which <laughs> it was true. And I started Fruity Beauty, my blog back then as well. So I was hyper-productive. I was just – I had endless content. We did jump ahead a bit there straight to the book, but I wanted to get a quick sense of when you were 17 and you moved to Sydney. Yes. Did you want to work in mags? Did you want to write? Like what was the aim before then? Well, I, I was very young for my year, so I finished yeah young and deferred a year, which I now look back on and laugh so much because I honestly said to my parents, I am exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> I just need a year off to do a gap year but had no plans, no job, no money. Moved with my then boyfriend to Sydney and we then broke up a week later, but I found Oh my a God, fun. House. Yeah, but I was never going to live with him or anything. I just sort of shared him as part of the like, <laughs> right, I'm a grown up now. Totally not true. I came crawling back like a few weeks later <laughs> and found a share house in the paper, which is how you did it back then. And just like had no money, no friends, nothing. I did telemarketing. I, I was a nightpacker at Coles. I eventually became a promo girl and made a lot of friends through that. But it was a really weird, broke, poor, sad year. And I am so grateful for it because by the time I got to uni, I had such an appreciation for friends, for money, for like just having comfort. Yes, just comfort. I didn't have anything. I only had my grandma in Sydney. She was my friend. <laughs> We'd go to the movies stuff together. I'm sure I had a few friends. <laughs> yeah. Making sound like a loser. But it was really important because now I look back and go – if I didn't have that year, I don't know if I'd be the same person. It was formative. Is that where the drive comes from, do you think? Because you've worked your way up from Smash Hits magazine, which... Why oh, was it Mania first? Mania. Yeah, so it's like, it's still around. It's for like seven-year-old boys. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> your niche. I know, but it was so much fun. It was lollies, games, toys, like I'm a child. And it was a, re- it was a small publishing house, which I really recommend because I could cut my teeth without 
big ramifications. And everyone was young and fun in there. It was called Next Media, which was bought out. But then then I went to Smash Hits, which was EMAP, which I think has been bought out as well, and then into ACP. But I think if I'd gone straight from uni to Cosmo, it would have been terrifying because mm. it was a hallowed halls and glossy and I was not wouldn't have been ready. What were the glory days of mags like? I mean, you did touch on it before. And I guess whenever I hear stories from editors who worked – back in magazines when they were in their heyday, it sounds like the dream. Was it the dream or do you kind of look back and think that it's easier to paint a rosier picture than what it was? I think it comes, I think it's who you are and where you've come from. There was a lot of privilege. I came in very privileged because I was chosen to take the job at Cosmo and I was immediately made friends at Cosmo and I had a bit of writing and mag experience under my belt where I think a lot of girls and boys might come in and start on the front desk and move through the ranks. So I was coming in as a journalist, to put it that way. But what I found instantly was that everyone who worked at Cosmo was a country girl who'd come to the city really? to make something of it. All of us, Canberra, Adelaide, Tamworth, Toowoomba, you name it. So a bunch of really driven girls and guys, mostly girls, who'd come to the big smoke and wanted to make something of themselves. So that was a a beautiful and very nurturing environment and I was was lucky. I love those girls. I still love those girls. Do you think it's because the reach of those magazines back then was so huge that young girls grew up reading them and then was like, I want to work there and would just take themselves with the aim of working there? Yeah, probably. We would have interns that would pay for their own flights from Brizzy, say, to come down and do interning once a week. And that flights were expensive back then. And that probably doesn't exist anymore. I'm trying to think. What is like the big media dream now? I couldn't it's, tell you. It's don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know because it's become so independent and so niche and such a gigging economy. So you don't have those big corporations now really mm. where are super duper aspirational. I think it's probably girls approaching guys like you and saying, can I come work with you or can I be your assistant or your intern? So it's girls going much more specific going, I want to just do this instead of just going, I just want to be in the world of glossy magazines. Mm. Now they're like, I want to be a podcaster. I just want to write about this. So probably better in that sense. It sounds like throughout your 20s, you really heaped your plate quite high with all these different projects and you were very, very driven to achieve a lot and you have achieved so much in your career. Did that change when you got to your 30s? And how do you look back? Is there a difference between how you approach your career now that you're in your 30s to what you did in your 20s? Yeah, definitely. I look back and go, I think you can do a few things with your 20s and there's no right or wrong. There was the option of like traveling heaps and ha- and being a bit more carefree and going, I'll settle down and figure it out later. But my drive was strong early on. And I sort of credit this to either being single or being in a relationship where my partner was away a lot because I had a lot of time to myself and not a lot of money to, you know, write books on my spare time or blog or something like that. So I was productive, mostly out of necessity and boredom, rather than like going, I must do this and I will have that and I will publish a book. So I think what I'm trying to get is that I laid the foundations down in my 20s and by having written a few books and having had a masthead experience in magazines to have credibility to then be able to have the confidence to go out on my own later. Whereas I think you could go the other way, which is have a lot more fun in your 20s and then come in at your 30s and go, right, now I'll get serious. Mm. No, Neither way is right or wrong. It's just different for everybody. I wanted to ask what the pressure was like with, with giving advice about stuff that you're still trying to work out yourself. Yeah, great question. And 
That's obnoxious, isn't it? It's <laughs> not, no, that was not the basis no, of the question. Is. But I never like to put myself in the expert chair, even though people loosely brand you as that. I personally would never label myself as an expert, not in beauty, not in relationships. And the way I came into beauty is similar to relationships. I came in not knowing a clue. I didn't have a clue about beauty. I didn't even read the beauty pages. But I learnt with my reader as I went. And so with relationship advice, how that started was because I was single at Cosmo and was just living this world with all my single friends and we were dating and we were like, what the fuck is this deal? And <laughs> it was very like sort of sex in the city. Like, And Sarah Wilson was my editor at the time. And she said, I said, can I do a dating term column? And it became a monthly thing. So it was very much, hey, we're all doing this together. Isn't it weird how guys do this? And and so it, it, it started in that in that sense, which the genesis was I was living it and that single life. But As it grew on, it was like over years you get so much feedback from women and you have different relationships yourself and you have major breakups and life changes and so on that you feel a bit more accomplished. Being able to not still advise but just say this is what can happen, this is how we can go through this together and if you find this happening, I would recommend this course of action, (laughs) which I guess does, I am making recommendations, but always under the umbrella of there is no right or wrong, it's your Mm. heart, it's your life. Breakup Boss is the one that I'm probably most proud of and that's the one that I get so much feedback on still because I was bad at breakups. So I kind of wrote it for the book that I wanted when I was 18 and same with love. I wish if I had that book at 22 or something, I would have maybe made. But then I always go in circles there because I'm like, but I'm very happy with where I ended up. (laughs) See, I downloaded Breakup Boss and I hadn't even been through a breakup. Very happily in a relationship with Mitch. And Mitch is like, what is this on your phone? I'm like, I was just curious. I wanted to read her writing about it. And like the spinny wheel and there were just so many, like the daily affirmations. I was like, I haven't been through a breakup, but I'll fucking take Take it. I love it. Was it quite layered? You went through a breakup in, I think it was 2009. It was almost a decade long relationship. Is that quite confronting to then be turning that into content and be thinking, okay, I've got to be giving relationship advice and I've just oh. gone through this very cataclysmic life event? Well, it's it's so personal in that sense of because every breakup is different and every relationship is, is different. So how I marinated it and it eventually came out in my work was much later. I was very happily single during the period when I was writing uh, textbook romance, I think it was back then, which is like 10 years old. And Breakup Boss came much, much later. But it was obviously it, it pivoted off that breakup. But no, I didn't – I wasn't writing about it at that time. I wasn't an active column writer at that time. But I – you know, I don't mind. I think everyone sort of writes about their own experience. That's It's in parts lazy and, and useful because you're like, well, I can write about it because I've been there. And um, I think other women have probably been there and can connect with that as well. Mm. What I'm kind of finding really interesting listening to you talk about the work that you used to do about like writing columns about dating is that I can't imagine Zoe Foster Blake in 2020 writing a column so personal about herself. And I wonder if that has anything to do, I wanted to ask you about sort of going from the one doing the writing about people to being the one that was written about. Is there sort of a correlation between those things? You don't really get to choose whether you're written about. My 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 goal is always to do good work and if I'm lucky enough that people will read about it or want to read the book or, or buy the product, then I'm thrilled, I'm grateful. Mm-hmm. And by virtue of that, if you have a big enough platform, people start to write about you. It's completely out of my hands. I've probably become a little bit more closed off over the last few years, which is why I don't really do podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> why it took us a year to you guys <laughs> for forcing me on here. <laughs> no, no, I've got to get better at it. No, um, but, but there's a part of me that just, you know, I I feel like I only really share things that I think will be useful to other people. I don't really share for the sake of sharing. So in this environment where we're talking about business and creativity and career, great. I understand there's an interest in people's lives and when you're on Instagram and and when you, I mean, I used to do a lot more blogging than I do, that people are going to want to 
you see and know mm. about it. And, I, and it's not like I'm closed off, but it's just like, it's just about appropriateness and relevance, mm. really. And again, like if I talk about, you know, my baby having wind or gas or something, I talk about it with the end point being, and here's a solution. Recommendation. Yeah, yeah, I love recommending because it saves me so much time and effort. And really my whole genesis for being on Instagram is that digital back fence of women and men talking and saving each other time and money and just that shortcut to mm. shit that works. Mm. You still write a bunch about love and relationships now. I mean, you wrote a whole book about all different kinds of love. I think I'm I- done. You think you're done? Yeah, I'm done. You have, you'll, you'll find it in your careers when you have ideas. Like Breakup Boss, that book was, that pitch was written in 2010 or 11. Oh, really? wow. Yeah, and it was meant to be a book and then I took back the rights and I knew I wanted to make an app. But it just, the idea just, I don't know if you've ever read Big Magic, I think it is, by Elizabeth Gillard. Not yet, but I've heard so much. Yeah, and so she talks about an idea being with you and that idea just wouldn't go. And so the ideas that stick, I have to honour, otherwise they'll just never leave me alone. So I knew I had to do Breakup Boss and, and it was done in like a couple of weekends of furious writing. I knew I was pregnant, but I didn't do the piss test because I knew that as soon as I did the piss test, I would get morning sickness. This was with Rudy. And so I just <laughs> said to Hamish, can you take Sunny for the weekend? Because I'm going to write and write and write and write. And it was just like I was possessed, like I was a medium and it was just channeling. And with love is get like when I reread Love Now, I'm like, who wrote this? Really? Yeah, it just it's comes beautiful. It's a beautiful then, book. Thank you. I'm well, really proud of Love. When you say like who wrote this, what surprises you most about it? The passion and intensity that right. I write. With. Mm. I'm like, I couldn't write that now. And and you get into such a moment with a project that I get almost yeah taken over by it. And then it's once it's out, and then six months later you're doing publicity, and I can't remember a thing about it. I'm like, <laughs> oh. God, I have to re- did I, have to I say that? It. I do. I have to reread it before the interview because I'm like, I don't remember. What did all that work though teach you about what you wanted in a life partner? Because it would be so rare that anyone would spend that much time sort of thinking <laughs> and analysing about love and breakups. What did it teach you? Oh, I certainly have those moments where I'm like, I've sat in my office for a whole weekend writing advice or, you know, introspection about love for strangers. Mm. I need to go home and be with my love. <laughs> like I need to actually do what I'm writing about. For me, I for what I want from my life partner is team. I, I want to be a team, mm. and I want to admire and respect and support that person just as they do me. And I think sometimes you look at relationship. And I now know in the past, where I'm like, I'm not my best self with you. I'm pushing myself down, and I think that's always a big red flag. It's like also, making yourself smaller. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And and because we started as friends. I had such respect for him as a person and admiration for him professionally and and I just delighted in his company. So we'd worked out all that stuff first and then we became physical. So I think that's a really good platform. Be friends Mm. as well. Mm. I didn't do that. I think that's I like, not a bad thing. <laughs> it literally took doomed. me two weeks where we were like, we like each other. Let's be boyfriend and girlfriend. <laughs> that's nice. No, See, no, right no wrong, wrong way. No wrong way. <laughs> Maybe I'll break up with him and be like, let's work on our friendship. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you're friends now. We are. We're great friends now. Yeah. We haven't even touched on beauty yet. Where did the love of beauty and the obsession with beauty begin? Okay, so something controversial. I think I love beauty and I love writing about love and I love all the things I do, but really I think I use those things as a vessel to connect with women. Like beauty is fun and exciting and I like to be able to teach people things and save them money and make things more useful, but really it could be anything that I'm writing about. I just want to have a connection and I just want to feel useful. And the same with the relationship advice. It's like it's fun to do and it's useful and helpful, but I 
I could be anything that I'm writing about. So beauty, I didn't really care or know about beauty until I got the job at Cosmo and then I became obsessed about it and did a blog and a book and all of this stuff. But again, I felt like, you know, you get to a level where I was like, all right, well, I can't write about it daily anymore. And then I went to like weekly with print. I'm like, well, I can't, I don't even have the desire to write about it weekly. And then I would consult with brands and moved up to a next level. And so probably the next obvious step was to start your own brand, which is so little to do with beauty and so much more to do about business and manufacturing (laughs) and logistics well that's what I find so interesting it's so rare that you'd see someone so creative be like you know what fuck it I'm going to business because surely that's two different brains right so talk about when you decided to make it a brand and how long it took you to make that decision and also how long it took you from idea to launch yes so a fashion retailer came to me and said do you want to do a collab this was after amazing a face came out do you want to do a collab for makeup capsule collection I started going down the avenue and then I was like oh hang on can I like what are we putting in these products and they're like oh you didn't need to know just we're just gonna put your name on it and if you could just choose these packaging and I'm like oh no 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 oh so it was like pick your shades pick a shade it could be being made in an arsenic factory for all you know (laughs) but don't worry it's cool and it was a real light bell moment like if I'm ever gonna put my name on something because I've flogged other brands as beauty editor for years like Mm. I do you know in stores for them or whatever it was and I was like uh, I really want to, if I'm going to be selling a product for a company, I really want to know what is in this product. And I'm like, I take, you know, women's trust so seriously. So after that, a friend of mine, um, Megan Larson from Sadashi, dear friend, and she was <laughs> she was sick of me saying to her, why don't you make a body oil? Why don't you do this? She's like, why don't you do it? And it never occurred to me to have my own brand before, but it was that little moment where she planted the seed for me to go, shit, what would that look like if I did it? Because I do have the the insider info of going I know what works and what's rubbish and I do have the feedback from women and the confusion that they feel about skincare so for me it became very obvious it was like well there's a huge gap there of people being complicated like skincare is so complicated and confusing and baffling and perplexing and causes insecurity and that's not what it should be about self-care so that's how GoTo started from a, a genesis of wanting to know what was in the product and make sure it was safe that if women were going to trust me with their face and their money that it would be something I could stand behind and but I used to look at brands and go how do you get an actual product to exist oh, that's what I wonder like all the time on the shelf how does that be could you explain it yes <laughs> I do and I, I talk to friends about when they want to start their own brands I'm like get samples honestly get on Alibaba and just get a sample of a thing if you want to make a tube if you want to make a bag whatever it is find a sample because when that physical sample exists it begins because you go I don't like that zipper I would make that pink I would do that and then you before you even know it you're starting a business Mm. I never had a business plan we laugh about it I'm like we should do that business plan guys (laughs) Seven, (laughs) seven years in but I've always run by my gut and instinct and intuition and it hasn't failed me yet knock knock but it's it's been driven by that and then you bring in the grown-ups so I'm not good at business I'm not good at warehousing and manufacturing I bring in experts for that coming up after the break how Zoe feels about motherhood but first a word from our sponsor How did you feel before your very first product launch? You launched with a few, right? Yeah, and we Face Hero was one? No, that was that was the first new launch. So we okay. launched with the five essentials and then Face Hero was soon after because, you know, everyone needs a cleanser, moisturiser, lip balm, whatever. But, yeah, I don't know how we got five products to launch. I really don't. Now it takes us two years to get one out. It's, uh, it's a long process with natural products. They're very naughty. Were you scared? Were you worried that it scared. would be really? No. You were so confident in that that you were like, this is going to work. No, it wasn't even a confidence that it was going to work. It's like, I don't really forecast that stuff. And I didn't, I just had to believe in myself to go, look, if this fails, it's okay. What's the worst story? I lose a bit of money. I lose a bit of face. 
if that's really the worst that could happen, that's not very scary. No one's losing a limb. Also, I felt really confident in the product. And I think when you make shit that is good and you've built up trust and goodwill from your followers, you should feel confident Mm. and that confident becomes infectious. And I loved playing with the press kits to my fellow, my peers, my beauty editors, because I knew what they were getting all the time and I wanted to subvert that and Mm. play with them. So no, I just enjoyed it. Mm. I didn't, I don't really operate on fear. What were the standout lessons for you personally from starting your brand? Was it mostly about confidence and just having a crack? Well, this was like 2012 that this started and and the entrepreneurial spirit and the no barrier to entry hadn't really taken off yet. Instagram was still pretty formative and it was a pretty old school way to do it, but I just knew it had to be digital. So that saved a ton of work in terms of retail space and distributing and all of that. We just had to have a warehouse and a website. Mm. So I wasn't scared on that front. I knew I had the following. I'd been building it up for years and I I had a brilliant formulator and good formulas. So I think you just have to be rational sometimes and go, these are good things. There's, I don't have to look for a way for it to fail. Mm. Don't always look for the failure. Because even if the failure happens, it's still a lesson. You get better. Mm. Talk to us about the branding because obviously it's one of the strongest parts about the brand from a consumer perspective, I think. Yes. How long did it take you to create the kind of, I don't know, slogans around it or the website copy or things like that? Did that come very, very naturally to you and yes. was that your favourite part about it? 100%. Again, I'm using the brand to write and connect. So God love you, Co. too. But it's, it's a way for me to have – be the copywriter I always wanted to be <laughs> and just have shits and giggles and subvert beauty because it was very earnest and very serious and very like legacy brands. And then I wanted to come in and mess shit up and just go, it's allowed to be funny. <laughs> you are going to cleanse your face anyway. I always look for a, a place to have a joke in a place that you don't expect it. So mm. I still write all the copy for everything that lands in your hands, products, shippers, everything. It's really important to me. But I've got a brilliant team now who are completely owning social and all the newsletters and everything. It's got its own – it's moved beyond me now and it's got its own brand, which is awesome. I know the products will be like your children, but we'll <laughs> ask you this anyway. Is there one that you feel a real affinity for or connection to that you're really proud of in particular? Yes, it's Face Hero because it's our it's our gateway product. It's just the one that I've never had someone try it and not fall in love with it. It's my favourite go-to product as well. <laughs> I know, also. until you try Fancy Face. <laughs> yeah, so Face Hero is the one that fixes shit. So women with rosacea, women with unhappy, cranky skin, inflamed skin, anytime you've got a problem – face hero fixes it. and I feel really proud of that and we've got reams of testimonials from women and men that just go this is just this helped me this this solved a problem I like solving problems for people and then that sort of led to grow to because I liked fixing skin that was being bitchy so yeah I'm very proud of face hero but I honestly think fancy face and your oil cleanser will become a bigger seller mm. big move there but I believe in it yeah you, we've touched on fear a little bit. I mean, you said that there wasn't a heap of fear before you launched GoTo. There doesn't seem to be a lot of fear that underpins a lot of the work that you do. What's your relationship with fear the bigger your career gets? Do you feel fearful about anything? Like the bigger something gets, the more scared you are? No, I don't think that's a direct correlation. For me anyway, It's I feel less fearful because I have so many clever people helping me now and it's gone far beyond me into a fully fledged medium-sized company with really good infrastructure and and great great people in there I don't know if I you can feel fear if you focus in the present in fact I know that to be true the present is now right that's that whole thing about the ego is only happy in the past or the future but it can't exist in the present so I try and do good work today and good work 
you know, this hour, this week and this launch and then I believe that the rest will take care of itself. So it's that micro work aspect of like I'm so terrible in board meetings because I can't forecast things. I can't tell you in three years where we're going to be, what we're going to be doing. But we're still alive so they let me keep doing Mm. it that way. But it's a very instinctive way to run a business and I, I believe in it. I believe I can feel what sort of product needs to come next and I believe I, I understand our customer. So I, I, don't, I don't operate on fear. I'm not scared to fail. How do you pick what product comes next? Because Fancy Face has just launched and that took me by surprise because I had never used an oil, oil cleanser, cleanser in my yes. life and I love it. <laughs> but how did you decide that was going to be the next thing? That one because we launched an SPF product and we needed something to get it off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and also we've got we've got very you've got tweens and teens that use our products, but we've also got, you know, fifties and sixties that need something more nourishing. And I'm turning forty this year and I need something that's more nourishing on my skin. So as always, I selfishly make products that I want for myself. But I think I think that's obnoxious but also useful because I can't I always think of the Instagram post. So when we're developing a new product, I and I heard that Amazon writes their press release for a new product before it exists because it gives everyone a shape to work towards. I don't go that far, but what I do is I imagine the Instagram post. And when I have to make business decisions, like which retailer I'd go with or in another country, say, I imagine the post and how happy I am to post it and how I roll with the comments and how I can you know, explain my excitement. So if I can't be excited about something, this is why I won't make an eye cream, that <laughs> I um, I can't I can't make and I can't back it. Why are you not excited by eye cream? Because I don't think they work. Is it bullshit? Oh, no, it's a bullshit. Well, I can't categorically say they're all bullshit, but what I do think, and, and a lot of beauty editors agree, is that they're just little pots of expensive moisturiser. Oh, no. Ah. Zoe, I've wasted so much money on eye cream. Oh, no, 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 no. Again, no right to wrong. <laughs> We're sensing a theme. If you, if you do want to work on the eye areas first of all is SPF second of all is get a highly concentrated serum an eye serum like with retinol you know strong actives that are going to do something I did brag to Zara when we came into this interview before I'm like I've gotten into retinol lately that's and really I really hot. love that's it that's really strong well, she was like I've gotten into it you shouldn't try it. it's not for you <laughs> and I was <laughs> like only okay because, because Zara is very low maintenance with yeah. her skincare routine and I don't think I wonder if you'll agree with me if you're not going to stick to it and be patient with retinol Oh. Don't fucking bother. Oh, it's because I'm impatient. It's your impatient and you'll oh. start flaking and stuff. Or you'll like, give up. You'll apparently give up. it's a full year for retinol. Oh, God. Effects. Oh, God. And then it's pretty ha- hardcore and I hope you're wearing a lot of SPF after that. Of course, always. It properly enough, I pledge. <laughs> yeah, I pledge. Exactly. But I hope you've been properly advised on retinol because oh, no. it is really strong. <laughs> like I've only started getting into retinol. Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> Michelle's actually spiraling, sweating she's right now. Peeling her face off every night. I've got like my best friend and she'll show me what she's using. And I'm like, you are doing a chemical peel every night. You've got to be careful with what you're using. Oh, my God, I'm your nervous it. face is on. I'm using it once every two days. That's okay. I don't know what strength and where you're using it. But look, probably the best advice is to actually have a good facialist who you can trust and they will guide you through. It's like having a hairdresser that you trust. I feel like I need to sit here with you and be like, Zoe, go through my makeup bag and go through my skincare routine. Oh, I should have bought mine. I'm still passionate about beauty. I really do get so excited by it. So I'm kind of lying when I say I don't have a passion for it. But it's the connection you you are lighting up. Yes, but that's because we're having a connection, right? So I chose an industry that 
I'm always popular in the bathrooms at the, yeah. at the, the nightclub. <laughs> I'm talking about beauty. So like the easiest combo starter. <laughs> I, so I know you say that there's not a lot of fear and I know I keep coming back to these things, no, but I guess yeah. I'm trying to get in the head of a listener who kind of looks at your career and has such admiration for it and says like, I want to get to where Zoe Foster Blake is. Right. And I know that imposter syndrome is such a buzzword and I, Michelle oh, and I, I have it. Well, Michelle and I have spoken so much. I'm like, I find imposter syndrome such a strange concept to relate to because I find it such like a flaky subject. Like I have self-doubt all the time, but in terms of feeling like an imposter, I don't really understand the connection. Mm. What about self-doubt coming into all of this? Of course there's self-doubt. And there's this dip, the the tension, Seth Godin calls it the tension, right before a launch where – I've worked on a book, say, or a product, and then I'm, I've signed off on all the assets and I'm really happy with it, the press release, we've got the tour booked in, and then I just crash. I'm like, this is a piece of shit. <laughs> no one's going to read this. It's horrible. I can't believe I wrote that. Oh, my God, I'm going to get slammed for that. Like, I, I'll do it with this podcast. Like, the day before it goes up, I'm like, oh, my God, what did I say? I'm <laughs> loving it for the rest of <laughs> I'm having a wonderful time. <laughs> yeah, I'm having a great time, but then I'm going to have serious anxiety. What did I say? <laughs> So, yeah, that's called the tension and that teaches you that you've risked something and mm. you've, you've done something brave because if you didn't feel that way and you were just totally self-complacent the whole way through and you're just like, it's going to be a shoe in I, I don't think that is going to work for long. What kind of feedback do you listen to and do you read reviews? Like when you've released any of your books, do you go and seek out the feedback to that or are you kind of just like not my books. audience is what counts? Not books because a book is a book and it's finished and it's done. A product I definitely listen. I listen to everything from our customers because they're the ones that are pushing us in terms of sustainability. They're the ones that are pushing us not in terms of product releases, but we're listening. Like they want an eye cream, but they're not getting one. But but I'm listening to them in terms of their level of education or sophistication or what they're really hunting for. And but they ask for things that we're never going to make. But I'm, you know, they ask for things that we are like, oh my god, it's like they're in our inbox. Like that's coming. So yeah. Products are different because that's an evolving thing. We can tweak and we can change. Mm. But a book, nah, it's done. I get the sense that you like read and listen to a lot of nonfiction. I mean, you seem yes. like the biggest Seth Godin fan ever. And you have a lot of wisdom, like particularly with career or even just like making sense of why you feel the things you do. Mm. Who would you recommend? Yeah, I'm, I don't get a lot of time in the car or by myself commuting because I've always got the kids or it's I'm walking. So I love Seth's Akimbo. I love the Harvard Business Review. They have really good guests. Still love Tim Ferriss. He's, yeah. His Tribe of Mentors book I really, really recommend to everybody because it's just great advice from the best. That's it. It's short. It's sharp. You just take what you want. Like that book between my husband and I, we have dog-eared and posted it the whole way through. My husband is actually an incredible nonfiction fan. Like there's always book deliveries at our house. He's always reading the newest thing about like the uninhabitable earth or, you know, the brain or AI or whatever it is. So I often just steal from his table. But my rule is I can't read fiction when I'm writing fiction and I'm writing, I'm just starting fiction again. So I have to now only read. It's so sad, like mm. by fiction. For <laughs> I do want to talk to you a bit about Hamish and how that dynamic works because you both are so successful and this is tangential but I promise it's going somewhere, that with people in similar positions, couples in similar positions, Michelle Obama wrote in her book that she and Barack Obama have like a bit of a seesaw marriage. Are where you comparing us to oh – I was waiting for this. I mean, <laughs> I'm not She's not gone. comparing you to Michelle and Barack <laughs> <I> Obama. <wouldn't>. <laughs> <laughs> so she explains that obviously they're both incredibly driven and they both really care about their careers, which is wonderful obviously. But to do that, they kind of need to be on a seesaw, that yeah. one person has their time in the sun and the other person takes – a little sabbatical out of their career for a bit. How does it work with you and Hamish? You're raising two children. You both have 
glittering careers. How does that work? And is it even a conversation or is yeah. it just natural? You know, it, it is and it isn't a conversation. It just, we will look at our schedules and he'll go, I'm shooting Lego for three months and I will, it has happened fairly organically, but I'll take my foot off work at that time so that I'm, I know he's working 14 hour days and I'll be around for the kids. And, but then I go, well, I'm launching or we, I'm going to the US for a two week trip for press. So I make sure that that's locked in with my team when he's not full on. So it's a seesaw logistically, not so much career goals wise, because we we have big meaty chats about career. He's my best business advisor. He? Oh, he's amazing. He's so. I mean, you guys know he's 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 incredibly experienced. He's been in the media for such a long time. He's ten years ahead of me in terms of that. He's really considered. He's thoughtful. He's generous. He's 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 beautiful. He's mm. like I'm so lucky to have him in my corner. So even like a new book idea, I'll thrash it through with him, and he's. He doesn't piss in my pocket. Like we're very honest with each other and I do it with him. I push him. He pushes me. So I'm really lucky to have that and that's those conversations I think are separate to I'm going to focus on my career right now because we don't have that conversation. It's just like I'm taking on a big project and but for me it's like I'm going to write a book for the next 18 months. So that's just a slow burn mm. but go to will take me away for literally out of the house and that's a consideration. Mm. People are fanatical in their love of you and Hamish which is obvious <laughs> because you're both such likeable and successful people. Is that ever difficult though? Does it ever feel like you won't live up to that expectation or is it confronting? It's, I think, no. I mean, first of all, it's, I can't imagine it would ever be horrible to be walking along the street and have someone come up and say, I love your lip balm or (laughs) I love Lego Masters. Like we honestly feel so privileged and delighted that the work we do is resonating and people choose to watch it and buy into what we're doing. Mm. So we don't ever feel like it's it's a problem. Mm. We honestly don't. But we are we are lucky to be spreading joy. Like we have the kind of career that is fun and up and not everyone gets to do that. Like some people are in very polarising jobs or they are very active politically and they're going to piss people off. We deliberately keep things light. That's that's who we are. We we think it's important for some someone on the team to always be just going, you can still make this positive. Oh, you're making people happy. That's nice. Yeah. We feel a, so lucky to be able to do that. Thing. It's yes. so fucking nice. And, and, it, and it doesn't mean that we don't have a life and a real life and struggles and stresses like everyone in the whole wide world, but we are so privileged, so lucky, healthy children, happy life, best country in the world. Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> we are very lucky. So lucky, of course, but I guess nobody trains you for like intense Australian fame. Do you ever worry that you're going to – and I know there's probably only one way you can answer this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you worry that you're going to disappoint people, that that there's only so far you can fall when people put you on a pedestal? Oh, well, I, I remove it from myself. So I don't worry about me failing people, but I worry that my work will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I have to keep those two separate because I'm a person and we're all fallible and we're going to make mistakes, but – if I work really hard on a project and, and do a wrong thing, then that's a big consideration. Mm. And I've got a whole company at stake and and my, my customers. So they're two different things. So I don't worry about failing as a human. We're all going to do it. It's going to happen. I just don't want to let my company and my customers down. <laughs> You've described yourself as a heavy introvert before. And I think for some people that might be surprising because in your work and everything, you do come across as so exuberant, which of course introverts can be. But I am interested when you say heavy introvert, what do you mean by that? And how do you personally recharge? So I think it's the, well, yeah, recharging. I need soft clothes and quiet (laughs) and just TV. And I sometimes have discussions with my husband who is a total extrovert. 
and shock. His idea of, I know, <laughs> but his idea of I'm astounded. <laughs> I, I, well, comedians know. I mean, some, yeah, they can be very very on-off. true. He's literally on, on, on. And his idea of unwinding at the end of a big week would be to go out to dinner with 10 people and I would stab myself in the fork with you. Like that, in my eye with what? Because that would be my hell. I need to recharge and pull away. So even doing something like this, because of the nervous anxiety that comes with it beforehand and then the performing and then afterwards, I just need to just shrivel up for a few hours and do some quiet work mm. and then I'm fine. So yeah, it, it takes its toll, but it's for very short bursts because. Everyone's like, you're always so busy. And I'm like, well, not really. Like I'm out publicly for a couple of weeks when I'm launching something and then I'm in. Back in the shell. I'm back <laughs> in my tracksuit pants in my office by myself writing. It's honestly my favourite place to be. Talk to us about motherhood. Like what does being a mum mean to you? Because I, I imagine it's not something you talk about publicly a lot. Oh, it's it's awesome. These guys, these flatmates that we have in our house are the funniest, most ridiculous, beautiful, joy-filled little monkeys. They're very challenging, of course, and it can be relentless and frustrating, but it's beautiful. It's astonishing. And we have this little team of, of funny people that we get to hang out with, with, with Hamish and Sonny and Rudy, and that's that's pure joy. And even at the end of a long day that I just, you know, need them to get to bed. <laughs> I just need to be by myself for a little while. I still straight away get on my phone and look at photos of them and miss them and talk about them and love them. And they're just, they're my heart. They're wonderful little creatures. And I think our job now is, you know, each age is really different to the last age. And my son's just started school and that's, it's a new boy. Fuck, got to figure that one out now. I'm reading, I'm audiobooking this thing called The Book I Wish My Parents Had Read. And that's really good. Because <laughs> with all of this, like our generation of parenting is so evolved and aware. Like mum mm. laughs, she's like, Oh God! You know we just did the job. Yeah, we didn't think I'm about like, it. We didn't yeah. think about it that much. And you <laughs> fucked us up as you went. But she's like, "Oh, you'll need therapy for sure." I'm like, yeah, of course we all do. But we, she goes, "You guys are now not only parenting and working, but you're trying to. You're, you're another job that you've created for yourselves is how to be a good parent. So yeah, we're always trying to read the right books and articles and try and do a good job of it." It's, that's the challenge. I think one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard is Hamish on Willosophy talking about his philosophy on parenting. And he was talking about how, and I'm going to like butcher this to you, but he was talking about how he has this obsession with making memories. Like he said something like, I know that in the span of like the first five or six years of their life, they're not going to remember everything, but I want the things they're going to remember to be amazing. Do you share that? Like are you yeah. obsessed with making sure that their memories are amazing? Bookmark. Yeah. So I call them bookmarks because of the memories. He's a memory maker, always has been before we even had children. But that's why we travel so much. People are like, man, you're always traveling. I'm like, because if I didn't, my son between the age of one and two would just be one day rolling into the next, going to the playground, doing the same thing. But even just a road trip, it got, I go, oh, I remember when he was 13 months old, we went to Blar and we went to Masson and we had a beautiful weekend. And so they're important for us because otherwise we just roll through life too quickly. So we're always happy to spend money on travel and do that. But another thing a friend told us is that you only get really 12 summers with your kids. And oh my God, that's, yeah. I know. <laughs> that is, I don't yeah. have children and yeah, that's, that's a dagger. I'm already stressed about all the yeah. summers going past. <laughs> So then they don't want to hang out with you, right? Then they want to be with their friends. And so we are trying to make the most of all of it. And we're so aware. I think this is the thing of our generations. We're so aware of how fast it's going. Everyone's like, it goes so fast. I'm like, that's not helping. I know. <laughs> Jesus. I know. And I want to just suck them in. And I just, you know, so, yeah. This is the curliest question ever. And it's a tricky one to answer. But I am curious. As someone who has succeeded so much and achieved so much in your almost 40 years, what is the proudest achievement so far? What will you look back on and be like, that I did really well. I think 
I think you have to define what you mean by achievement and I think achievement is something that you had some level of control over and you had to take a risk and it was work. So for me it would be go-to I'd say and it's creating a probably the biggest thing I'll do in my life which is create a brand that sticks and has a, a connection with people and they trust it. So for me to have that trust from women like reading through comments for the oil cleanser the other day and they're like you could tell me to put this on my face and I would do it because I trust you and that like it does it does make me so joyful and so proud because you don't you know you, your goodwill from your customers is, is huge and you only get one chance with that so I take it very very heavily so yeah I think go to I think having created a company and jobs for people and created products for people's faces that they like and yeah that feels pretty special that's an achievement What's next for you? You've mentioned you also, are. I've written ten books. No, <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you've written ten. Um, a lot of books. It's so How many, many fucking words. Would books? that be in total? Like almost a million. <laughs> oh my god! Would that be a million words? Like, I'm just, just trying to think. The average book is seventy thousand. So that would be nearly a million. I always write a hundred thousand. We have to cut. Oh, that. so you want it? That was a humble way of saying yes, a million. No, but that's, <laughs> that's bad. Yes, yes, Michelle. That's no, one of them was a book about farts. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, that was probably like forty-five words. <laughs> no, but it's just nightmare because I overwrite. And then we just have to cut and cut and I'm so attached to all my words. But Zoe, it's better to write too much and be able to cut instead of not write enough and then just have to put it all in. (laughs) What is next for you? You did mention you're writing another fucking book. What else else is on the horizon? No, that's it. That's for me. I haven't written fiction for nearly five years and I'm really rusty and I, I don't get nervous about being bad at it because no one's judging me. It doesn't even exist. I don't have a contract. It's just me writing for me, but it's... It's exciting. And I've already had an idea that I was like, this is the one. And I just changed it. To oh, oh, no. So I'm, I'm, I'm doing the thing like Seth talks about the dip right before you get into it when you, you doubt everything and you're like, that's a shit idea. I can't sustain that. But I'm also like, you know, I've written stuff with my readers through my life, like from being a mag girl and then a football book and then dating and then, you know, career stuff. Do I keep going with my readers and keep writing the stuff they expect or do I really challenge myself and write something left of True crime novel. Yes. Great. <laughs> War spy novel. War this spy is, novel. This is why you're writing so much spy novel. Oh, no, then I just go. No, but my way of thinking is like if someone's doing a great job of it, I don't need to do it. <laughs> they don't need me. Yeah. <laughs> They're all good beautiful. on their own. <laughs> it's like I'll never make makeup because, you know, there's brands out there doing a really good job of it. <laughs> Zoe Foster Blake, our final question yes. for you is the same for every single person. You will know it. It is what is success to you? Success to me is being able to do what I love. There's that question that you say to people when you're challenging them when they're stuck in a tea going, what would it look like if it were easy? To me, success is getting to the point where you go, it's not easy, but I'm enjoying it. I'm having a great time. And I do feel so successful in terms of I, I have my family and I have my career and it's hard to juggle the two. Of course it is, but I've chosen to have both. And so I stand by it and I feel successful when I can that I can have both, that I have the luxury of, of being able to have both. Zoe, thank you so much. Yeah. We know things like this aren't your favourite things to do. <laughs> we so appreciate that. But thank you for giving us your time and your energy and your stories too. We have absolutely loved having you. We are so grateful that you made the time for us because you are incredibly busy. I'm a fan. I think you know that by now. <laughs> I do. I think you've got big things ahead of you. I'm really happy to be here at the start. Oh. No, before you smash it. <laughs> Just end on a groan. Zoe, thank you so much. 
Thank you so much for listening to this In Conversation episode with Zoe Foster-Blake. We interview influential people every Thursday, so if you enjoyed this one, why not scroll back through our feed? Last week, we sat down with modest fashion influencer Nawal Sari. If you keep going through the feed too, you'll find chats with the likes of Rosie Waterland and Clementine Ford. As for us, well, Mish and I are independent podcasters who do this without the support of a network, so the best way to support us is to show us how you listen via your Instagram stories. Either take a screenshot of your podcast app and tell us your thoughts on the episode or show us how you listen whether that be walking your dog or doing some baking or you know procrastinating at work no judgment here that's all from us though we'll be back in your ears on monday with the wrap of the week that was in pop culture until then we will see you on instagram or in our facebook group bye guys hello guys mish here i am the co-founder of shameless media Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse, if you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.